Hello, and welcome to the Christchurch Fox Chapel podcast. The fastest growing conservative, evangelical, charismatic, all together now, Anglican, Anglican podcast in the entire Fox Chapel area. I'm joined today by the Bens. Really, it's not as good as when Steph is here. No. We no. all want Steph. I don't to come back. I make mean, far less, uh, <laughs> less, less, less thoughtful third person. But I probably, if I crack more jokes, I don't know. I'm sure the ones she does crack are better. But I, she makes us all. I'm what uh, you got. Yeah. So I just want to apologize to, to the listener for this podcast in advance. Yeah. <laughs> she's not on it, and I was mowing the lawn listening. It was ah, oh, it was so good. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, listener. The best we could procure for you is Ben Hughes. <laughs> yeah, so like, if at any point you just get brassed off with this particular episode, uh, listener, I do commend to you uh, the one from the week before. Yeah. Or two weeks before. All right, here we go. We're in First Thessalonians chapter 2, beginning at verse um, 17. I'll read it. Thanks. But since we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time, in person, not in heart, we endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face because we wanted to come to you, I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us. For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. Therefore, when we could bear it no longer, we were willing to be left behind at Athens alone, and we sent Timothy, our brother and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ, to establish and exhort you in your faith that no one be moved by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we are destined for this. For when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction just as it had come to pass and just as you know. For this reason, when I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you and our labor would be in vain. The word of the Lord. Thanks, Thanks be to God. God. One of the themes, two of the themes that are starting to emerge in this letter now then are, are one, that kind of uh, affection <clears throat> that, that Paul has for his fellow believers there in, in the city. Uh, and then the, the affliction that's, that they're going through, both Paul and his friends have been kind of kicked out through some kind of opposition, and the church itself is, is suffering as well. So affection and affliction, two themes that we're kind of starting to see in the letter a little bit. Nice alliteration. Thanks so much. I, yeah, I, 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 I quite like that. You know, it's funny that when uh, there's like a modern uh, caricature of the Apostle Paul that seems like a lot of people like to set up of like, he's like this really um, gruff, sort of yeah. misogynistic, um, overly intense character who just like spouts theological stuff with no real pastoral heart. <laughs> like Wolpe. Uh, yeah, what? exactly. What? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. But like, you know, this is a, the, it's funny that the two things that characterize Paul here are um, affliction and, uh, and affection. Yeah. Right? Like yeah. somebody who's getting having a hard time and is an affectionate pastor of the church. Yeah, it's really helpful because they so don't go together in normal, normal life, do they? It's really hard to be 
affectionate when you're afflicted. But maybe That's sometimes funny. affection can grow in affliction. Like yeah. if you know you're going through it together and like mm. people can lean on each other and mm. grow closer together and sometimes that, that kind of intimacy and unity mm. can really strengthen you in the midst of affliction, right? Yeah, I think that's certainly what, a bit of what we're witnessing here, that they're in right. the affliction together, even though they're in separate places, like Paul and his friends got, got kicked out from that affliction and mm. the church is still enduring it, but they're still in it together. Um, you know, what does he say? We're, we're not with you, uh, not in person, or we're separated in person, not in heart. Yeah. Um, like we're still with you, even if we can't be together, he says. Yeah. I found that to be kind of experientially true um, when I was, I did, uh, to be a ordained, you have to do this thing called CPE. It's like a clinical pastoral education. So you have to be a hospital chaplain or do something kind of like that. And I found going into these hospital rooms that it was usually either like a little mini heaven or a little mini hell mm. when people went through stuff. Like they either mm. were um, full of gratitude yeah. and affection or they were just like bitter. Um, yeah, it was one of the two. There was like no middle ground when yeah. things went wrong. No, I, I mean, I, I guess, uh, I mean, I've never done a hospital or hospice chaplaincy, but obviously I've visited lots of people, and certainly the time around death is like that. You know, I've been to bedsides where, where the dying person has led a song, like a Christian hymn, from the bed, mm. and. Uh, I can think of one, one guy, um, and he was singing in his bed. And in the two rooms down, <clears throat> there was a nun, and she was wailing with, with despair, just screaming with rage at death and wailing with despair. It was quite pitiful. Mm. And he was singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And I think that was actually annoying her a little bit, but she was annoying him, and it was, just, it was a very, very unusual moment, uh, I guess, in my ministry to see these two, you know, church workers, ministers, in fact, they both were, mm. of a sort, one in anguish, one in joy. Huh. Maybe, maybe it just highlights how affliction, and especially drawing near that point of death, just kind of amplifies mm -hmm. what's already there. Mm -hmm. uh, like, uh, you know, that picture of heaven or hell uh, is so stark, like you said, Ben, but maybe it's just actually more mm. revealing in that moment of crisis and close to death of where people are and the, the shape and the character of their heart um, that comes out more, so much more clearly in that moment. So, so, so Paul expressly blames for this trouble, Satan. And, and yeah. we see that there in, in verse uh, 18. Um, but Satan hindered us. And, uh, oh yeah, and he gets back to it in verse 5 of chapter 3. Uh, that, you know, for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you, because yeah. tempters tempt, for fear that the tempter had tempted you and our labor would be in vain. Tempted to what? Yeah. What's the temptation? I don't know. But for the Thessalonians. I don't know. That's a good one. Yeah. Um, do you have an answer? Uh, I, no, I have a, uh, a half-baked seat in my pants guess. Oh, great. <laughs> Can well, I give I mean, that? Those are my favorite this Ben Hughes sermon, teachings. Right? We, we specialize in that. All yeah. right, so my seat in the pants guess is that if these are people who are going through a lot of affliction, they don't have a whole lot of readily ready access to easy idols or easy comforts, so maybe the temptation is to despair. Mm. Yeah. Or to reverting. Yeah, I, to think, giving in. I think that reverting is, is kind of underlying what Paul's... Like, 
like the tempter had tempted you and our labor would be in vain, and verse five. Like, like he's worried that the temptations, the afflictions would cause them to just walk away from their faith and all the progress they'd made in, in Christ and all the growth they'd accomplished in the gospel would just be undermined by these afflictions. And, uh, you know, that verse 3 of chapter 3, um, they're just praying that no one be moved by these afflictions. Yeah. Uh, and I, I, I think the implication is being moved backwards <laughs> and yeah. being moved, uh, like undermining the the progress yeah. they made in maturity in Christ. That the suffering would drive you away. And yeah. What would that mean? What would that look like concretely, though, in Thessalonica, uh, Thessaloniki? B- b- giving up your faith? Like, not, no longer saying gathering Jesus together, is Lord, or gathering together because bad for whatever your career aspiration is or something like that. Yeah, or maybe leaning on back onto old idols for comfort. Yeah. Like the, about, about the things that, yeah. of the old life and the old man that we used to just trust in to, to save us or to comfort us yeah. in difficult times that in, in the light of Christ are foolish and useless and don't do anything for our, our souls. But maybe yeah. the temptation is just to kind of lean back on those that maybe we're just too familiar with. And to be, and to be you know, disempowered, to use our controlling image of this, of this letter, that, you mm-hmm. know, the, the dunamis stuff, you know, in the, in the first chapter, Paul's talking about receiving with joy the Holy Spirit in much affliction. So perhaps even, you know, losing their joy, yeah. the joy and the power of the Holy Spirit, which, which actually, I guess it was the stripping away of stuff uh, and their vulnerability that opened them up to the possibility of having this, this overriding joy in the Spirit. Mm. And, you know, I guess if it's not really powered by the Holy Spirit, you can fake it for a while, but eventually you waft away. Yeah. Because you have no reason to, like, sacrifice if it's not real. Right. Um. I think that's going on. But clearly there's obviously a very strong spiritual um, evil force at work here with the intention, a personal force. It's Satan. It's not, a, not, a, it's not just a power, but it's a person, Satan, whose, whose objective it is to pull them away to undermine their faith and to harm them. And, and to say, look at this affliction you're going through. God can't be real if you're suffering. Mm-hmm. Or God can't be good if you're suffering. Or he can't be powerful if you're suffering. Unless, of course, God's evil and he's using his power to make your life worse. Yeah. You know, you can hear him, can't you, saying all these things. Yeah. Yeah, and I like that what Paul's doing here is he's just reminding them of what he already said. Like verse 4, he says, For or you yourselves know that we're destined for this. For when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction, just as it has come to pass, mm. just as you know. Um, like, they said, this is what's going to happen when you give your life to Christ. Like, there's going to come affliction. Mm. People are going are gonna to turn against you. Right. Um, and it kind of readying them for this. Yeah. And now he's saying, look, here it is. Is like, that parenting the image this again? This is what we said. Yeah. So like I said, I said to my kids, uh, you know, the other day, I said, you know, if you were to do my, my funeral my, or eulogy or whatever, like, what, you know, what would you say about me? Like, what was, what was I always saying to you? And there was this silent moment. And then Ben goes, what shoes were you wearing? <laughs> <laughs> like, that's the thing. <laughs> like, they'll come in with some bloodied foot. 
like it's just mangled from some terrible accident. And, uh, you know, I all, I'm going to seize the teacher one moment. I was, what shoes were you wearing like, when I was barefoot? And uh, that's, that's the lasting memory of his childhood. But, uh, you know, it's like, I told you to wear shoes on your scooter, on uh -huh. your bike, on your skateboard, in your go-kart. I told you to do that. <laughs> no, it's funny. He's not a clumsy kid at all. He's remarkably agile. Sorry, Ben, we were embarrassing you by putting you on the podcast, but like, he this he does some extreme stuff. So I, you know, and uh, he's fearless. Him and and, uh, and and the other his accomplice, uh, who is also uh, barefoot, um, yeah, frequently they yeah. they get uh, the barefoot too. They get some <laughs> the barefoot the barefoot duo the barefoot. Yeah, I don't even think <laughs> that. They are, aren't they? Mm. But they're like, but you know. I've been stung by a bee like twice in my life. I think Ben's trodden on about 15. <laughs> like, they're just, but you know, what shoes are you wearing? But I, I guess it, 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 I'm gonna take some solace for my parenting technique here. Paul's used this parenting image. He said, I told you to expect this thing. Yep. And part of, part of you know, leading people is to say, look, I think there's this thing coming. You even get this language in the ordinal, you know, to be stewards and to be watchmen, yep. you know, and watchmen women ready for seeing what stuff is coming and to be a step ahead and you know like it's sounding the alarm and getting people ready and yeah yeah well you're uniting yourself when you become a christian you're uniting yourself to christ you're uniting yourself to a the god man who is a crucified messiah yeah who has voluntarily chosen to bear on his own back the sins and afflictions of the entire world <laughs> and so like it's just like part and, it's not that like everything's gonna for some reason unexpectedly go wrong it's that in following jesus you're choosing to align yourself with all of the mess of the world yeah and that's that's just like hard for me i think mm. um, yeah i i saw a meme just recently of like someone saying to another person you know if you just live your life like jesus everyone's gonna love you and then the other person saying well they crucified jesus didn't they <laughs> and like that's kind of what we're what we're after and what we're modeling uh the model that we're we're seeking to live yeah. after like yeah uh yeah if you live your life like jesus yeah you shouldn't be after adulation and love from everyone and but resurrection but resurrection and life and eternity and joy that is satisfying like nothing else can but the world is not going to be on your side definitively yeah. Uh, and we have to know that. We have to expect that. Um, and, and that's the power of the gospel, yes. is to bring you joy in this affliction. It, 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 it's uh, remarkable. Mm -hmm. I think there's also another facet here, and that is that, that there's this joy in the sharing of the gospel. And when Paul talks a bit here about um, his crown of boasting, yeah. my, you know, my, my hope, my joy, or my crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming, is you. You are our glory and joy. And, and Paul, I, I think, is clearly looking here towards that day of judgment when there are brothers and sisters in Christ lined up before the throne of grace, before the throne of judgment, to receive grace. Yeah. And Paul is able to look at it and say, well, I, I, I have a participation in this story. I shared the gospel. And here's this crown 
of boasting. It's what Jesus did in the lives of these people, but in his grace through Paul. Like Paul's not taking credit for it, but he's certainly enjoying seeing the fruits of his labor. And I think there's that eternal perspective as well. Yeah. When you know, you're going through something difficult, but you know that there's a payoff at the end. But these light and momentary afflictions do not compare to the glory that awaits us. Uh, I think Second mm. Corinthians something. Right. Four. Yeah. But uh, yeah, there, and and I think Paul's really digging into the the depth of relationships that are found in the gospel too. Like mm. our our united to one an, our union to one another in Christ is strong and is powerful and breaks down any other divisions that might stand. You know, ethnic, racial. Uh, socioeconomic, like those divisions fall down and we're united in Christ. And there's joy and there's glory in that that is worth celebrating and that lasts for eternity. Um, yeah, to call someone else your glory and your joy, uh, that's, mm. a, that's a high statement. Um, that's power, profound, I think. Mm. Right, but I, you know, I kind of think about people who've maybe been helpful to me or, or instrumental in my, my uh, kind of walk. I mean, I think when I was 11, this guy called maybe Bill Patton, I think his name was, he came to our school and uh, he handed out Bibles and he did a school assembly. And he did the gospel as a school assembly and handed out Bibles. Like, I mean, imagine that today. And uh, that almost like lay like a seed dormant in cold ground and sprung up a decade later. Today. Uh, well, and I mean now, you know, I, yeah, I've got I've got Christian wife, I've got Christian kids, I've got Christian friends. There's, a, there's um, I've got pulpit. There's, the, you know, I, I think he would really like to know that there was this kid, like on the third row, who looked like he was mucking mm. around a little bit, who who actually still has that Bible, and uh, and, and came to faith. Mm. Like that's really cool. I, uh, we have a friend who's has said uh, that Christian ministry is like mowing the grass in the dark. Like you don't <laughs> have any idea what you're doing. Like uh, you know, you you don't know what's gonna take. Or I mean, uh, another friend uh, who uh, lived two thousand years ago was crucified and resurrected. Said it's like scattering seed along a path, uh, yeah, right? Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Uh, like you don't know what's you, you often don't know what's going to come up and it's going to be messy. Oh, look, I love that thing. Like, how do you do a sermon illustration for a parable? It's like, well, so Jesus told this really great illustrative story. Uh, let me illustrate it this way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Try to improve upon that. No, that's not going to happen. I, I think mowing the lawn in the dark. It, it sounds like it sounds like shattering fifteen pairs of expensive spectacles. That, that has been my experience. I've mowed over more pairs of glasses. Really? Yeah, buy, buy shares, buy stock in, uh, you know, Pearl Vision, and I you'll do well <laughs> in this town. I just don't, I don't buy expensive sunglasses, because I just know they're going No, these are prescription ones for my kids. <laughs> <laughs> I buy them by the crate now. <laughs> I would pity you, but I more feel fear, since I have two sons, and I know that Whatever you're experiencing is going to right. be multiplied. But you I don't just have, pity the poor. You don't have genetically sons. deficient eyesight like uh, me. Who, I mean, that would be so rough. Yep. Three boys. Uh, well, that'd be great. <laughs> you wouldn't know anything about that. That'd be a tough life. Yeah, tough. 
So, I mean, we could come back to the parenting thing because I think that Paul's using that, that language, mother, father, you know, we mm -hmm. do this thing. Um, I don't want to overstate that, but uh, that's a great metaphor for what it is to share stuff with people. And even when he's not talking about it directly as a metaphor, he's acting like it. Yeah. Like he's acting like their spiritual parent and he's, he's loving them, caring for them, rebuking them <laughs> and yeah. like make, taking dr drastic steps to make sure that they are safe and that they're secure. Um, oh. Sending Timothy to them and uh, to keep yeah. them rooted in the gospel. But then like lest it sound a little bit too um, kind of, oh, look at me, you know, I'm in charge and, you know, you're a baby, lest it sound too kind of demeaning or, or whatever. I think it's really interesting how he escalates the language now. So he describes Timothy as a co-worker, which is a quite an elevated thing. It's like, you know, you know, me and Timothy, we're on a level. And then, uh, you know, in the gospel of Christ, and, and that, I think, motif of being a co-worker in or with Christ is used elsewhere. Mm -hmm. um, that's a very high statement now. You know, I'm a co-worker of Jesus. Yeah. Which is says, really unbelievable. He says he's God's co-worker. God's co-worker. Like working alongside with God Where was that for then? your sake. Is that, we've already had that. Yeah, Timothy, our brother and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ. Oh, God's co-worker, yeah. God's co-worker, not my co-worker. Yeah. He's my brother, he's God's co-worker. That's, that's quite a title. Like, Woof, yeah. 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 Well, and it's also just, uh, <laughs> it reminds me, I just read, I just finished the gospel of Mark uh, the other day in my Bible reading, and the last verse, last sentence of Mark in the longer ending says that after the Lord ascended, after Jesus ascended, the, gospel, the disciples went out and spread the good news, and the Lord worked with them mm. through accompanying signs and miracles. The ascended Jesus was still working with them in miracles and signs uh, to accompany the preaching Snake of the gospel. Handling. <laughs> yes, that's also in the longer ending of Mark. So, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, like the fact that God works alongside us and God, we can call ourselves co-workers, co-laborers with each other and also with the Lord. And you know that his work is not going to be in vain. You know that his work is going to be effective and yeah. powerful and uh, accomplish that for which it's purposed. <laughs> keep going. No, keep going. no, you guys start laughing and I lose my train of thought. Just busted it all up. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't have any more. You guys finish it up. Well, no. uh, as the word of God uh, comes down like like this, like the the snow and the rain that waters the earth, and yes. doesn't none of it comes down in vain. Yes. Uh, if you're aligned with the word of God, what uh, what you do will not be in vain either. Yeah. because you're following. And I find, I find that a real comfort because even in my life and in my ministry and my trying to witness for the gospel, I fail and I am not often great at it at times, but God does not fail. And if I'm with God, then even if I'm not seeing the fruit that maybe I want to, then I know it's not in vain and I find that a real comfort. Is that satisfactory for y'all? <laughs> I know, you guys have got me all, all self-conscious. I mean, I don't declare when a thing is a crescendo. The, the Los Yetis do. The Los Yetis uh, control this. Thank you, Los Yetis.
Thanks for listening. This has been a podcast of Christchurch Fox Chapel. God bless.